Nehemiah 6. Nehemiah 6. So for the last few weeks, we've covered the book of Nehemiah, as you guys know. Um, you know, when I read this book, I'm always reminded of the great things that God has done in and through Coastal Church for his glory. You know, we've adopted churches. We've built new buildings. We're preparing to renovate our campuses. Coastal has been experiencing the blessing of the Lord in an incredible way. This is truly a season of momentum for Coastal Church. But it's usually in seasons like this, seasons of momentum, where the enemy sends distractions. And so Nehemiah, he tells us that he and his people were building the wall. They were in a season like us, in season of momentum. But there were enemies who came to distract them from completing the work. And so before I dive into the text, I actually want to start with my first point, recognizing that distractions hinder the work. Distractions hinder the work. Nehemiah chapter 6, I'm going to dive right into it. It says, now when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I built the wall and there was no breach in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, that's important, Samballot and Geshem sent to me saying, come let us meet together in Hecaphirim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So the first thing I want us to focus on is how the work is still not done. He just made a huge accomplishment. He said the wall was finished. The wall is complete, but he still wanted us to know that there were no doors in the gates. He says, although up to that point, I had not set up the doors in the gates. There was still work that needed to be done. There were still people that needed to serve. That is the heart of Coastal. That is the heart of Coastal. God has blessed us to plant campuses and adopt churches. And within each campus, God has graces to equip the saints to become leaders and elders and deacons and ministry and small group leaders. You know, when I look at this campus, I, I would say like Nehemiah, it seems like the wall has been built. Yet there are still no doors. There's still work that needs to be done. And honestly, that's what I actually love about this campus is the amount of people that have come to Pastor David and myself looking for ways to serve, looking for ways to enhance the ministry that they're called to lead. You know, we have small groups here that are constantly growing. Some of them look like congregations, if I can be honest. We have, we have small groups that are still growing constantly. And just about every small group leader in this church has come up to me, letting me know that they're grooming and they're equipping someone in that group to eventually branch off and start a new one or eventually take over that group. We have ministry leaders downstairs right now training up volunteers to take some of the load off and caring for God's people. Because a real builder of the kingdom always recognizes that there is something that needs 
to be done. And that's the heart of Nehemiah. That's the heart of Nehemiah. Nehemiah recognized that the wall was not done and or the wall was done, but there was no gates or no doors. And so he did not settle. The wall was done, but he did not settle. And so when we reach this morning's passage, we realize that no matter how much we serve, no matter how much we put the work in, no matter how much we labor, opposition always finds a way to present itself. And so we go to verse one. It says, when Sembalat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. So before I go, I want to give you some background on these men that he's referring to. So these men, they were governors, governors of surrounding nations that have been fighting Israel for the last few centuries. I mean, hundreds of years. And they settled eventually. They settled way back when they settled in the land that God promised them, the promised the Israelites. And of course, God eventually drove them out by force. And of course, that made them hate Israel even more. So these men, they were sons of perverted, rebellious nations who hated God's people and they sought to do anything to hinder God's plan. And so you can imagine, they hate Israel. You can imagine how thrilled these nations were when Israel was taken captive, when Israel was in bondage and they were taken by this Persian empire and the Assyrians and and King Artaxerxes. When they were taken by them, these nations were thrilled because their enemy had been taken care of. This was a huge win for them. And I can imagine some, anytime these officials over the, over the centuries, when they would drive past Jerusalem and see its ruins, it was a reminder that they had won. They, they, it gave them this false view of themselves thinking that God's people are history. They're, they're wiped out. There's nothing more that can be done. They are held captive, and we live in victory. This is the mind of their enemies. And so here we are years later. Here we are years later. These men, the sons of these uh, groups of people, these sons of these nations, they hear the news that the people of Jerusalem are making a comeback. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem problem not only is this nation making a comeback but it seems as if they're coming back stronger than they were before if you're in Christ you're in the family of God amen you're in the family of God we are God's people and though we're God's people we like Israel we mess up we fall short we fall into sin we fall into temptation there are Christians right now who still wrestle with sin, they still wrestle with addictions. We're doing okay one day, we mess up again the next. That was the life of Israel. That was the life of Israel. That's how they always got put in bondage because they were in obedience one day and then they rebelled the next. And when they rebelled, God allowed them to face the consequences. As children of God, we're, we're, we're like Israel, we will disobey. And when we disobey, we will face consequences. But thank God. Thank God that he uses our consequences always to prepare us for a comeback. Every time. And that's one of the devil's greatest desires is to keep a believer from making a comeback. But God wants to use our consequences to mold us and shape us and equip us. So when we come back, we'll be stronger than we were before. That's the life of Israel. They rebelled against God. 
They faced the consequences, but God used even in those moments to equip them and prepare them for a comeback to make Jerusalem stronger and better than it's ever been. And the Bible says earlier that they were escorted by an army of the king. They came back stronger. So what Nehemiah's enemies are seeing is a comeback of a nation who had been down, but they were getting back up. These men were seeing a group of believers who messed up, but they were being restored. It's a group of people who had experienced the mercy and forgiveness of God. You know, it's one thing to talk about grace and mercy from what we've read. But the devil cannot stand a believer who can look back over their life and can testify from experience. This was the nation of Israel. They could look back over their shoulder and see where the Lord had brought them from. They can look back over their shoulder and can actually testify, I'm standing here because of the mercy of God. Anybody like that? So the enemies, they come to Nehemiah while these people are working and wrapping up this work for God. These enemies, they come, they send a message to Nehemiah, and they say, it's, you know, it seems as if they're, they're trying to reason with him. They say, come here. Come here. Let's, let's go for a walk. Let's talk. Now, when we read this, it sounds like a peaceful gesture. It seems as if they're trying to make amends. It seems as if they're trying to talk things out for a peaceful outcome. And Nehemiah says no. Nehemiah says no. Why would Nehemiah refuse to come and reason with these men? Because it seems as if they're trying to make peace. All they're saying is, come here, let's, let's talk. Let's go for a walk. Let's talk this thing out. And Nehemiah says, no. So now Nehemiah looks like the bad guy. Why would he refuse? Because Nehemiah noticed something that I want every believer in this room to pay attention to. You will always notice or you will always recognize a distraction by the direction that they want you to go. You will always recognize a distraction by the direction that they want you to go. They said to Nehemiah, come and let us meet together at Hecatherum in the plain of, oh no. That's why he said, oh no. <laughs> According to a little dad joke, I'm a dad, I can't help it. In order for Nehemiah to come to them, what direction did he have to go? He had to go down. In order for Nehemiah to talk with his enemies, he had to go down because there is only one direction we can go when we walk with the enemy, and it's down. When you walk with the enemy, your relationship with God decreases. Your love for God's people decreases. Your passion in serving God's people decreases. Anytime you walk with the enemy, it only leads in one direction. But the crazy thing about this request the crazy thing about this request, they asked him to go to the Hecatherum, the plain of Ono. That was several miles away. So the first thing is it would have taken him days to get there. See how far he's distanced now from the people of God? That's, that was the plan. Let's get him isolated. Let's get him as far away from God's people as possible so we can do harm to him. And no one would ever know. Nehemiah went missing. We don't know where he is. That's the trick of the enemy. The devil's greatest desire is to isolate us. You ever watch Animal Planet or uh, Discovery or whatever? You see these, these lions getting ready to attack. Notice they usually don't go where the group 
of the antelope are. They find that one that's standing by himself. The weak one, the sick one, the one that's isolated. The one that decided to go and get a drink of water or eat somewhere else away from everybody else. That's the first one they go for. That's what these enemies were trying to do with Nehemiah. Let's get him days and days away from God's people so he can't run anywhere. So that's the first thing. But then I want you to notice something else. Hecatherum in the plain of Ono is actually north of where Nehemiah was building this wall and doing this project. North. So now it seems like elevation. Now it looks like a promotion. Now it looks like Nehemiah is asked to come up. Let's go up north and let's talk things out. Seemed like elevation, but come to find out the plain of Ono was actually known as the Valley of Craftsmen. The Valley of Craftsmen. Whether it was a literal valley or not, it was a place where harm and danger was intended for Nehemiah. It's in lessons like this that we learn that every promotion is not from God. It was up north. Nehemiah, let's, let's move up together. But every promotion, every opportunity is not from God, every opportunity, it may be a distraction from the work of the Lord. There are opportunities and there are promotions that can be offered, but there's only, they're only accessed by compromising what we believe. If we openly promote certain lifestyles, if we say or do things that go against Scripture, we could get the job. That is the enemy's way of walking to, over to us while we're working and while we're building and saying, come on. Let's go for a walk. Just because something sounds good or looks good or feels good does not mean it's from God. And so Nehemiah, knowing this, in order for him to walk with the enemy, he had to come down. He knew that he had to degrade himself. He knew that he had to abandon his people and walk away from the things of God in order to walk with the enemy. And so this means these men were trying to distract him from getting the work done. When you go to verse 4, it says they tried this four times, four times, and he gave them the same answer. One of the greatest weapons the devil seeks to use against us is distraction. Jesus commissioned us in Matthew 28, Matthew 16, go teach others what he taught us. That's our work. That's the wall we're building. Those are the gates we're putting in. The enemy's goal was to get us to stop working, focus on other things. That's the major threat to us, distraction. Some of our distractions, it may be technology. Some of our distractions, it may be food. Some of us, it may be our job. How do we stay focused? How do we stay focused? This is what Paul says. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal. And King James says the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So like Nehemiah, we can't get entangled in distractions when they come calling our attention. We must keep our focus on the mission. We must keep playing our part in what God has called us to do to build his kingdom. 
This passage is summed up in Nehemiah's response to his enemies. They wanted him to come down and walk with them. But Nehemiah said in verse 3, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. He says, why should I or why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? His eyes were focused on the bigger picture. Serving God by building the wall that could protect the nation for generations. What we are doing in the kingdom is for generations. It does not stop with us. Every decision we make in the body of Christ affects generations that will come after us. The way we lead our ministries, the way we lead our small groups, the way we serve as pastors and deacons and elders will affect the coastal that comes after us. That was, the, that was the goal. Nehemiah, when he built this wall, it wasn't just for his generation, but it was for those that hadn't even been born yet. And so, but they wanted to go for a walk. That was days away. Nehemiah's thinking centuries ahead, but they wanted to go for a walk that was days away. So this shows us that when the enemy distracts us, it's only with temporary things. Materialistic, temporary things that don't last. A feeling, a sensation that does not last. But the work of God keeps us eternally minded. Nehemiah, he keeps focus and doesn't entertain distractions. Which leads me to the next point. We must live above reproach. We must live above reproach. Going back to the scripture, Nehemiah 6, starting at verse 5, he says, In the same way. Symbolic for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and, Gesh- and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come let us take counsel together. Verse 8. Then I sent to him saying no such thing as you say have been done. For you are inventing them in your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us. Thinking. Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So what we're seeing is another way the enemy distracts us. This is the fifth time the enemy tried to stop Nehemiah. But this time, it's a threat against him using the king's name. They are threatening to tell the king that Nehemiah is using the wall, this project, to lead a rebellion against him with hopes to become the king of Judah. And if the king finds out about this, there's a chance Nehemiah would be killed and the nation would be wiped out. That's a tactic of manipulation. And of course, we know the content of this letter is false. We know Nehemiah and the people, they're not trying to rebel. They definitely are not trying to make him king because that's a death wish. That could lead to death. The enemies are trying to use gossip and deception to intimidate Nehemiah into surrendering and ending the mission. But while they're trying to intimidate Nehemiah through malicious gossip, 
Look at how Nehemiah responds. I want to read that again. Verse 8, he says, No such thing as you say have been done, for you are inventing them in your own mind. Verse 9, he says, For they, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that their hands will drop from the work and will not be done. Then he says, But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So in verse 8, he immediately denies it. Verse 9, he takes the concern to the Lord, and he gets back to work. That's how Christians handle gossip as believers. That's how we handle gossip. A quick, direct denial is sufficient. We don't need to get defensive. We don't need to start yelling and barking at everybody. A quick denial is sufficient according to the Scripture. God has called us to build the kingdom through living out and sharing the gospel. That's all we're supposed to do. When gossip comes, no, I didn't. God, I give this to you. I'm getting back to work. That's what Nehemiah did. Because God is our defender. God is the one who will defend. The, enemies will, they will, the enemy will try to stop us by distorting our message to unbelievers. The world always will take what the church says and will distort it. We preach the love of God. The world calls it a hate message. We preach the truth of God's word. The world will say we're trying to keep society back from progress. We preach connect, grow, serve, and the world will say we have harmful motives. The enemy can't stand that we're building the kingdom and will use gossip to stop us. The enemy will use social media. There are so many people that will take 10 seconds of a sermon clip and will say this person believes this because he said that. That's gossip. He will distort the message in sermons and small group conversations to bring disunity and confusion. And so the world will take what we say, shut us down, and they'll try to stop us from preaching God's word. And, but Jesus says this is going to happen. He says it's going to happen in Matthew 5. He says in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say, utter all matter of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus tells us, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's how believers handle gossip. Sufficient denial, or a quick denial is sufficient. Take it to God, get back to work. That's how believers handle gossip. However, as human beings with a sin nature, though we're in Christ, there are Christians who wrestle with gossip. And so if you're one to spread gossip, I want you to consider a few questions. If you're one that wrestles with gossip, I want you to consider a few questions. Is this information 100% fact or has your opinion taken up most of the information? The next question I want you to consider, where is my heart when I share this information? Is it to see that person grow in their walk with Christ or is it, to, or is it for me to feel like I have something to contribute? Then I want you to consider this question. Could you say everything you shared to the person you're talking about? Could you, everything you just said, if that person walked in the room, could you say it all over again? 
to that person. And then the last question, are you willing to be quoted on everything you just said? Could I take everything you said and go tell someone else about it? I want you to consider all these questions before gossiping. This is how Nehemiah's enemies tried to stop them. It was through gossip. This is another form of distraction. And then another form of distraction. We see gossip. We see the, the work being hindered. Another form of distraction is wolves in sheep's clothing. That's not a point up there, but I just want you to consider that. Feel free to write that down. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses starting at verse 10. He says, Now I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Medabal, who had confided to his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and I saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sembalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in the way of sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalot, oh my God, according to these things that they have done. And also the prophetess, Naodiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Shemaiah comes to Nehemiah, just to sum this up, he comes to Nehemiah and he tells him, God sent me to warn you, Nehemiah, that your enemies are coming to kill you. And in order to survive and escape that, you need to hide in the temple. One thing we got to remember about Jews, especially in this time, is they knew the scripture. They knew the scripture. They were taught to memorize books of scripture and hide it in their heart. Why am I saying this? Because Nehemiah understood the books of Moses. Numbers 18, 7. It says, And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar, and that is within the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood as a gift, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. In other words, God is saying, if you're not a priest, you'll die. If you show up in the temple and you are not a priest, you will die. Nehemiah knew the scripture well enough to know that only a priest could go into the temple. Yet this man is telling him that God gave him a word to hide in a place where he would die by the hand of a holy God. So this means that the word this man gave did not line up with scripture. Another form of distraction. People may come to us saying, God told me to tell you. God told me you are supposed to do something. You are not supposed to do this. You are not supposed to say that. Hear the word of the Lord. But if that word does not line up with God's word, it's a distraction from the devil. 
If that word does not line up with Scripture, and if they cannot say, let me show you in Scripture where this can be backed up, it is from the devil. So he came with this word. Nehemiah knew that it doesn't line up with Scripture. And so he refused. He could have done it, but at the end of the day, Scripture teaches us, and Scripture taught Nehemiah to be more reverent of God's house than the fear of man. So he would rather be killed by Samballot and Tobiah than to walk in and dishonor God's house and be killed by his hand. The enemy will send distractions to hinder us from building the kingdom, but we are called to submit to God's word first and only. The last point, submission. We're called to submit to God's word. Submission to God finishes the work. Submission to God finishes the work. Nehemiah 6, starting at verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 20th or the 25th day or the 25th day of the month of Elul in the 52 days. And when all the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and the son of Jeho Jehoiam. They had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Verse 19, also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported his words to him. And Tobias sent me letters to make me afraid. So now the wall is done. The wall is done. The wall had been in ruin for, 50, for 150 years. That same wall that would take typically several years to build is done and finished in 52 days. That's an amazing, record-breaking accomplishment. But not only was this wall this, it was, this accomplishment, it wasn't just mind-blowing to the Israelites, but it was even mind-blowing to their enemies. That's what it says in verse 16. All the nations were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem. And they had perceived that the work had been done and accomplished by the help of our God. The Bible says their enemies were humbled and they fell greatly in their own esteem, which ultimately points to the glory of God. But the work was done because God kept Nehemiah's mind stayed on him. He never focused on his distractions, but he remained steadfast. He remained unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because he knew that his labor was not in vain. Distractions, they, 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 they come on every side. Even for Nehemiah, distractions came from every side on every hand. But Nehemiah knew that the fear of God is greater than man because he knew God is holy and he's righteous. This same God made us in his image, made us in his likeness, but out of arrogance. We rebelled against God trying to live life on our own terms. Our rebellion, it brought sin into the world. It separated us from a holy, righteous God putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. But he loved us so much that he sent 
his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, God the Son, came to this sinful, broken world and lived among us a sinless life, tempted at all points but remained sinless. You know, the devil tried to distract Jesus. The devil tried to distract Jesus from doing the work of the Father. The devil tempted Jesus to use his power to gain worldly pleasures. But Jesus refused because like Nehemiah, he was doing a great work. The devil tempted Jesus to walk in retaliation when people gossip. But Jesus refused because he was doing a great work. Work. This is what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He said, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was tempted at all points, but did not sin. And because he was so sinless, he took the penalty of our sin by facing the wrath of the Father on the cross. For hours, for hours, he hung on the cross that stood on a hill high enough for all to see. For hours, he hung on up on a high cross with a mission to save us from the penalty of sin. He hung on a high cross, but the enemy saw that the work was being done and tried to distract Jesus by using those to come to the cross and say, if you are the son of God, Come down from the cross and let's talk. If you're really the son of God, let's come down and let's go for a walk. But just like Sambalot and Tobiah, they came to him doing the same thing. But Jesus refused because he was doing a great work and could not come down. For hours, he hung on the cross doing the work of the father. This is what John is talking about. John 19, 28 through 30, he says, after this. Jesus, after Jesus had said what we call the seven sayings, he had forgiven, he had prepared his family, he had saved a thief on the cross, he had cried out that he was thirsty. John says, after this, this is the work of the ministry Jesus is doing, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said, he said this to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, a jar of full sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. That's all we had to offer. It was nothing but sour and bitterness. When Jesus wanted something from us, we didn't have nothing to offer Jesus. It was just sour and bitter. When he asked, he said, I thirst. And we gave him a jar of full sour wine that stood there. So they put it on a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch. They held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried three days later. He bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. So when we surrender, when we surrender to him as Lord, we're saved from the penalty of sin. We're brought into the family of God along with thousands of other Christians all over the world. The work of Christ is finished and the bible says after he rose from the dead he spent time with his disciples and after several days of pouring into his disciples he sent them to do the work of the ministry and he ascended to the father when our work is done so are we when our work is done we give up our spirit and we go to be 
with the Father. Jesus' work was finished and he ascended and he sent them out to do the work of the ministry. That's why I keep saying that the work we do here at Coastal goes beyond us. Because when our work is done, we will give up our spirit and we will go to be with the Lord. But there are people after us that we need to send out that can take what they've learned from us and can teach someone else. Jesus said it is finished and went to be with the Lord or the Father. Here we are, called to be builders of the ministry, builders of the kingdom. We build the kingdom. We preach the gospel. We live out the gospel. For the last 2,000 years, believers have been working together to build this kingdom of God. But one great day, our work on earth will be done. And we will rest in the presence of Jesus for eternity. That's the end for all believers. That is our ending. That's how it looks for us. All those who labor on earth for the sake of the gospel, they will find rest in the presence of Jesus forever. The distractions are going to come. Just like they did with Jesus, distractions are going to come. Insults will come. Gossip will come. But we are called to live like Jesus who sought to live out the scriptures. And one day, we will say, it is finished. Our work here is done. And God will take our spirit up to be with him. Who are you equipping to take it on next? Jesus lifted up his head and went to heaven, but he had Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, Thaddeus. They all went out and finished what he started. And one day, their work was done. It was done brutally. Goodness gracious. But they had people to come after them. And they had people, and here we are thousands of years later. We're not going to be here forever. I don't know when my time will come. Just because I'm young doesn't mean I'm going to be here forever. But who are you equipping to take on the load next? At the end of the day, We're called to live out the gospel. We're called to preach the gospel. We're called to build the kingdom despite distractions, despite the insults. Our focus is on the kingdom. Our focus should be to see Jesus. Our focus should be for others to know the love and mercy of God displayed through his son, Christ Jesus. When our eyes are fixed on Christ, no matter what people say or do, We can't come down because we're doing a great work. We're doing a great work here at Coastal. Anybody believe that? We're doing a great work at Coastal. Let's clap our hands if you believe that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are an incredible God. You called us through Jesus Christ to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You called us to teach those all that we have observed of you. That is kingdom building. And so it's our prayer, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, as Nehemiah prayed, would strengthen our hands. Because there are people all over this world that can't stand the mission of Jesus Christ. They seek to hinder the work of God from going forward. But we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our hands. We ask, Lord, that you would keep our mind on what the scriptures say, that we would not be distracted by false words and false promotions and even elevations that are outside of your will.
We thank you for the word that was taught, the gospel that was preached, and we pray through the Holy Spirit that we would apply this to our everyday lives and situations as we go from day to day. We give you praise. We give you glory for all these things that have been said and done. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.